You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is one of the fastest growing social media applications that there is dedicated to outdoor enthusiasts. Uh, This app is basically a community of all like-minded individuals who love Mother Nature, love to be outside, love hunting, fishing, camping, all the activities that people love to do outside, you're going to find a community for those activities within Go Wild. Now, you can download the app directly to your mobile device, your phone, and you can find that at the Google Play Store. That's where I download all my apps. Or for more information, you can go to timetogowild.com, read up on the app, read what it's all about, lot, lots of detail on their, uh, on their website. So uh, get outside. It's time to go wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, I've spent the last 15 minutes trying to get my kids away from my office door, and I told them, okay, go downstairs and play or go play in the living room. Daddy will be there to play with you in a little bit. And I finally have given up. So there is a 100% chance that you hear my kids in this introduction. So just deal with it. I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast, the podcast thus far, you know that uh, I have three kids. They're all wild animals. And I feel like some days, and you know, if I say this around some people, you know, if I called my kid an asshole, they would be like, oh my God, oh my God, you called your kid an asshole. Some days, let's be honest, kids are assholes. I love all my kids to death, but there are days like today where I get home from work and there's my son standing in just his underwear. His underwear is on backwards. He's, he's three years old. He's getting ready to turn four. And you just have this thought in your head like, what is he thinking right now, right? He's He's half naked. He has his underwear on backwards. Uh, there's food on his face, right? His mom's trying to handle her life and her job uh, working from home. And it just comes to a point where at the end of the day, if your kids are alive, you've done a good job, right? They didn't learn anything. You fed them. They didn't defecate in their pants, <laughs> except, you know, my youngest, he's still in diapers, but if they don't defecate or urinate on the floor, that's a good day. And at the end of the night, they go to sleep and they're safe and they've been fed and they're they're somewhat clothed and they may not be clean, but they're alive 
that my friends is a good day and uh today is one of those days so that's how my (laughs) that's how my life is going right now hopefully you guys are having a great day this my friends is the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers for twenty dollars off your trail camera purchase today we're going to be doing a Hunter Profile BS Session Podcast with Nathan Graby. And what's so cool about this podcast is a while ago, and I'll, I, I reiterate this on the actual podcast, but a while ago, I put a little uh, blurb out there on social media, and I'm just like, tag someone who you feel is a really good hunter. And his buddy Brandon tagged him. So I got a hold of him. I said, hey, dude, you want to get come on the podcast and chit-chat about... Uh, how you hunt, why you hunt, um, what do you feel makes you successful as a bow hunter or as a hunter, and uh, we get into some of his background and, and all that stuff. And uh, I'm telling you, it's a really good podcast. It's uh, I love again, and I say this all the time. I love seeing and hearing what makes others successful because I'll be I'll be honest with you. If I hear a tip or a trick that maybe I haven't used in the past. It, even if it's something very simple, uh, I've talked to a lot of good deer hunters on this podcast, and I'll tell you what, I take some of that knowledge into the woods with me every single hunt, right? You just keep absorbing it, and you use those principles. You know, you could use some of that strategy into, you know, that you've learned over the years, but sometimes if there's a buck that's, uh, you know, skating me, and I, I, you know, I don't get, I'm not having success chasing him or he keeps, I don't know, if I'm having a tough time out in the timber, I can go back and say, okay, hey man, this guy said he, he found success doing this. Well, maybe that's what I'll, I'll, I'll try. So taking principles of what you've learned may not directly reflect on your property, but the principles potentially could. So keep your ears open uh, on these podcasts and you might just learn something. So Man, I've had so much freaking coffee today just to stay awake that I feel like I'm going to crash by the time by the time this is over. But good podcast. And today we're going to be talking about ripcord arrow rests, right? I'm going to pull up the podcast or up the their website right now because they have a couple really cool new products and the first one that they're uh that they're, I guess, promoting this year is one called the Lock L O L O K Lock, and it's a it's a limb driven fall away rest system, and it's a uh, a fully contained arrow. And I tell you what, in the past I've used their Code Red, and then I've used their uh, their Max, and this is a really cool one that if you're into like the the limb driven systems like right now i i run a string driven system i found really good success for that uh they have the uh the the limb driven systems as well if you're a fan of the limb driven system or if you're a fan of the string driven systems ripcord arrow rests you need to just check out all their all their options because hands down it's it's probably one of the best made arrow rests on the market 
and it's an American-made company owned by veterans, uh, which just makes it badass. I, I wish everybody in their life, if you ever get the opportunity to meet uh, Keith, one of the owners, he's an awesome person. Uh, when you call the company, uh, more than likely him or another person who works there is going to answer, and they're going to be able to solve your problems when it comes to rest. So there's that. Uh, you know, go to ripcordarrowrest.com and take a look at uh, the products that they offer. A lot of talking. It is time to get into today's podcast with Nathan Graby. All right, joining me today, Mr. Nathan Graby. How you doing, man? Great. Can't complain. Good, good. So I have to preface this podcast because this was a while ago. I mean, when did I first reach out to you? It was like July or something like that. Uh, uh, I think I think it would have been more of August. More August. I think we were. I think we were just getting into the beginning of seed corn harvest. Gotcha. And uh, okay, yeah. so basically, uh, I put a message out on Facebook and I said, if you know someone who you feel is a really good hunter and pretty consistent and gets the job done on some pretty decent bucks uh you know whether it's archery or a firearm season let me know so your buddy brandon reached out to me and was like hey i got uh, i got a buddy of mine nathan he's uh he's what i would call a good hunter and so i reached out to you we uh you know we couldn't do it right away in August, and finally, after the hunting season's over, here we are, uh, and we're just going to BS a little bit about how you approach every season, maybe what got you in. We'll do, you know, we'll just BS for a little bit and uh, do some kind of a hunter profile, uh, you know, uh, about you and your hunting style, and maybe things that you um, that you do that might spark interest in other, you know, people trying something like that. But uh, and the and the cool thing is you're you're successful in a in what a lot of people call a high pressure state like Michigan, right? Right. And uh, yep. so before we get into all of that, why don't you go ahead and tell us what part of Michigan you're from and what do you do for a living? Well, I'm at the very south end of Michigan. Um, little well, I wouldn't call it kind of a small town, the Sturgis and. Um, I actually work on the family farm um, with my dad, my brother, and my uncle, and then uh, two other guys that help out. And uh, yeah, it's it's mostly just grain, um, like uh, commercial corn, seed corn, and soybeans for the most part. Gotcha. How big's your operation? I think um, we actually just lost some acres, but I I still think we're around the five thousand acre mark that we take care of gotcha five thousand so that keeps you pretty busy throughout the year yep oh yeah any livestock uh no no um back when my grandpa was still alive and not when i was a younger kid uh i remember there being hogs and and uh cattle and stuff but um we were pretty that was a pretty uh small operation with that so just kind of got out of that and moved on to just strictly grain farm right okay well i take it that with you having access to five thousand acres of farmland you also have access to i'd say at least five thousand acres of hunting ground is that right uh <laughs> in a perfect world yes um 
but uh, we don't own that much. We just farm that much. And, gotcha. And be in Michigan, like when you're talking about the pressure, um, yeah, it you can't hardly throw a stone without you know landing on someone's property that already has a tree stand there. So, right. Um, uh, I actually for the longest time, um, I actually there was a there was a period in my life where I didn't hunt at all. Oh really? And uh, I got in. Yeah, I got in. I, I guess I should have said that to you. Um, yeah, I've actually just got back into it. Not, I haven't been back into it for very long now. And uh, I got into it when I was younger. Got out. Um, basically started uh, riding, racing dirt bikes, and chasing girls and being stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and then uh, for some reason I just kind of gave up that passion and got back into hunting. So by the time I got back into it, a lot of that ground that we have is already spoken for. Right. So I would, there's a lot of ground I'd have to share. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so let's talk about that a little bit. I take it your story as far as hunting is similar to mine because I went, I went on a, a pretty big break there for a while too where – I went turkey hunting and I did some pheasant hunting. I did fishing, but I, I kind of got out of deer hunting seriously. You know, I, I would jump back in every once in a while, but, but nothing serious. So at what age did you stop hunting again and get into the other things? Shoot. Uh, I'd say probably teenage years. Cause I, I, we kind of, I, my grandpa and my uncles on my mom's side are the ones that got me into it. Um, at, at whatever I, um, at what age was that? I, I can't remember what the age is. The first year that you can be when you take the hunter safety course here in Michigan, I, I want to say it was pretty, I think it might've been 10 yeah, or so. So I, I didn't do it for very long. And, uh, yeah. And for some reason it just, I don't know if I, it just, to me at that point in time, it just didn't really, what am I trying to say? It really, like it didn't really, you're right. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So you didn't connect with it. Now you went and did all these other things, right? Uh, I take it. You probably played some sports. You did some dirt bike. You know, you said you did some dirt bike when, how actually, how old are you now? Uh, 34, 34, 30, 35 this year. Okay. So, you're, you're 34, going to be 35 now. And when did you finally, how old were you when you finally started getting back into hunting after that hiatus? Um, I actually had to, <laughs> that's funny because um, I actually had to talk to my wife a little bit on that because she has a better memory than me. So <laughs> um, we were actually uh, talking about that the other day because I, I know one thing by listening to your podcast one thing I've known is you're a stickler for, uh, specifics. So in de- or details, I should right, say. Right. So I want, I want to make sure I could remember when I got back into it. And, uh, I remember dabbling in it like in 2010 and 2011 only with gun only. Right. But I don't, I feel like I didn't get serious with it until 20, uh, 2012. 2012. Okay. So you, you kind of eased back in into it, but what was it? 
about wanting to get back into hunting after that hiatus? Was it something like, I miss being outside? Did you have an, another person say, hey, man, why don't you come hunting with me? What was the story of how you you got back into it? I'd have to say it's probably a lot of my grandpa. Um, and he's he's passed also. I think this would have been the second season without him. Um, he, was, uh, he was one of them hunters that you, you hear about, like the – the deer camps up north in the UP, you know, and they, or not even in the UP, you know, they just go up north, you know, a group of them and they'd hunt and, and, uh, the old school type hunting, you know, they always had a blast and he always told stories about it. And, and, uh, I don't know. I think, I think every, every time we got together, um, you know, over the holidays or just visiting, like we'd get on the subject of hunting and, you know, he would always, you know, just talk about it and I'd see the way it lit him up. And it, it actually kind of started fueling me a little bit to get back in it because also I was like, you know, that's, I, I absolutely loved him. And I just, and he's a, he's a, was just an amazing, amazing man, a person to look up to just uh, the way he was with family and people and everything. So I was just like, you know what? I want to spend more time with him. I want, he, you know, he's getting up there in age. So he, he's going to be, you know, won't be long and he won't be here much longer. So I wanted to kind of get back into it and spend time with him and be able to share those stories. And, uh, yeah, that's basically, that's basically what started it. And I basically gave up one, one passion and this one turned into my next passion. And that's three sixty-five days a year. (laughs) That's all I think about. So, so. Other other than that, was your grandpa like a pretty big influencer in your life? Oh yeah, very yeah. much so. Okay, yeah. I tell you what. Um, I mean, obviously, this has nothing to really to do with hunting, but my grandparents were my babysitters when I was really young, like from the time I was born until the time that I was. Uh, oh, I want to say seven or eight. Right. Then we ended up moving away. And I remember going on the farm and I was a ride along. I was it wasn't like my grandma was taking care of us in the house all day. I was in the back of tractors. I was, you know, I was helping any any, you know, when you're that young, you really can't do much. But help in any way, like, I don't know, back in he would back the tractor up and I would be strong enough to lift the hitch on the wagon and put the uh, the cotter pin in and, or I would, uh, I, you know, help scoop manure. I'd spread the manure with them, mm-hmm. you know, like all these different farm yeah. things. I, you know, I, there's pictures of me fall, <clears throat> falling in the, uh, falling asleep in the back, uh, windshield of the tractor while he's, uh, Oh, that uh, never fails. With, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Kids, so. right. Those, those, uh, pictures. And, and as far as my grandpa, grandparents were concerned, you know, both on my mom's side and my dad's side, uh, it was the work ethic that I saw from an early age. Like these dudes worked all the time. They didn't stop because if yep. they stopped working, their livelihood and their family depended on it. So I think that is a little bit of where I get my work ethic from is just being able to watch watch that at a very early age and see how hard that they worked on a daily basis. And it was something I really admired, you know, 
uh, about about them and and at the same time just being good a good human being as well yep so so you know that's my that's my story <laughs> but anyway <laughs> but uh now getting back into hunting right you're you know you kind of you got into it to spend a little bit of time with your grandpa but something happened right and a flip was switched or uh, you know yep the the switch was flipped and it kind of got back into the obsessiveness the craziness it came became a passion was there a specific example or a specific hunt or a day where it just clicked and you're like okay i'm gonna do this all the time now oh wow um that's a good question um i'd have to say i'd have to say i can it kind i can kind of relate the enjoyment i get of being in the woods um i can kind of relate it with when i would just like with my brother and stuff um and other friends of just like i was saying riding the dirt bikes and racing and stuff like when you put the helmet on and goggles on and you hit that track and you're out there or even trail riding you know it's just you and the bike you're yeah. thinking about nothing else your mind is clear and i i really like in you know crazy days like now you know even back then you know stressed out or whatever i just i just hop on it and go and you know i w- wouldn't think about anything else it's kind of a you know uh, just a vacation from normal day stresses and um I kind of get the same thing out of, out of that when I got into it and just, you know, the few times I did get to sit there with my grandpa, like sitting in a blind or whatever, we're just sitting there, you know, and he'd point out different things, you know, and just, just, you could just tell that he really enjoyed everything out there. Like just every little creature, everything about it. Yeah. And I think I, that instilled in me a little bit. And then now when I go out on my own, um, there at the beginning like the same thing i found myself all i was thinking about was like how cool is this you know look at that you know look at what this animal's doing you know or you know you see things you see things you normally don't no one or i should say a lot of people normally don't get to see right you know right you know or you hear things like there's like the crazy vocalizations of deer you know who knew you know the different things they do you know and or even turkeys you know or whatever just all of it you know it's just you know you could just when you sit out there and like really nice sunny days you know and just all the animals are moving and talking it just that's all you're thinking about yeah and i absolutely love it yeah absolutely so you know in those first couple years you were having fun observing nature but when did it start? How many years into your your quote unquote return? How many more years did it take for you to start really getting serious about deer and movement and how they act and you know trying to shoot big bucks and and maybe being mobile or anything like that? Okay, um, well I have to say um, it it actually started. Um, when I was talking about that, I dabbled in it in 2010 and 2011. That was actually me, um, going out a couple of times, like where my uncle hunts, uh, this would be my uncle that I work with. 
on the farm. He's actually the uncle on my dad's side. And, uh, you know, he'd have me sit in the sand, you know, and, and, uh, but I, it didn't come until like 2012. My dad actually bought another piece of ground, um, uh, a field about a 75, 80 acre field that I was like, Hey, I want this to myself. You know, I have to, everywhere else I go, I have to share it, you know, and it's already, you know, I'm already, those, uh, those family members have already been hunting there for years. And I was just like, I don't want to impose on them. I was like, I want my own. And, uh, so I went out there and I, so I'd have to say 2012 is when I really, I got serious into it, but I was going serious in the wrong way. I think, um, being that it was only field edge that I had. Okay. Um, because I burnt that property out pretty fast. Cause I was literally out there. Is like I'd hear people say, well, you can't kill them, you know, sitting in the tractor, you know, you can't kill them, kill them sitting at home, you know. And so I was grinding it out all the time. Like I was out there, drove my wife nuts and everything, like just <laughs> as long hours I spent out there just to maybe see a deer. You know, there's yeah. times where there's hunts where I wouldn't see a deer. Well, it took me probably till the following year to finally figure out, hey, I need to start, um, picking and choosing when I go out. Yeah. And I actually owe a lot to you guys for your podcast. Cause that's, I think that's when I started dabbling in the podcast too. And really started to focus in on, okay, be, be more picky on which days you go out. Right. And then actually, and, and then it's just snowballed from there. And I've, yep, so, so I've you more. started, so you started with, you know, if I want to kill a deer, I have to go out every single day. And I got to, you know, I got to cut, you know, cover with quantity, right? Right. Okay. So as you started, was it an entire year or maybe two years where you were doing that? Or did you start to realize, hey, this isn't, what I'm doing is wrong, right? I'm just, I'm, there's too much of my presence here. I'd probably took probably a couple couple seasons um at the most right um but like i said i owed a lot to your guys' podcast because i feel like i might have been stuck in that rut you know if somebody wouldn't have told me otherwise like that's when i really started focusing on you know how you guys always talk about the weather and barometric pressure and all that you know i was just like okay like i gotta really so because nothing was like what i was doing wasn't working right for the most part Right. Okay. You know, I'd see young bucks here and there, you know, little guys, but, but yeah. All right. So other than, other than just hunting every day, did you look back after you started to realize, Hey, I'm doing something wrong and realize that not only you were, you know, maybe not only were you hunting too much, but was there anything else you were doing wrong? Maybe access, maybe a tree stand position, maybe the wind, anything like that? Um, actually, um, yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> um, the wind, not so much because that's something, that is something that my grandpa taught me. Um, he taught me a lot of like, he actually came from a, an Indian background. So there's a lot of ways that he showed me of like how to, um, like walking in and how to be super quiet, yeah. walking in and stuff and, um, and always paying attention to the wind, you know, stuff like that. And, um, 
but he was, he never hunted tree stands. He was always on the, you know, he was always a big ground hunter, you know, and a lot of times he would use just natural brush and he'd make that work. And, uh, but, um, no, I'd say one of my biggest mistakes was access. And, um, because it being an open field, especially when it was beans, you know, not knowing at the time, you know, if I go in there in the morning, you know, me being on the field edge, me walking to my stand in the morning, I got nothing hiding me, you know, the deer had to know I was there, any of them that were out there, you know, and there'd be a lot of mornings where I'd sit there and just not see nothing, Yeah. you know, and it took a while for it to finally figure that out, so. You feel like you were doing a lot of damage to the property at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, so you got a hold of some information, whether that was our podcast or reading or whatever. And you, yep. you started to realize that you needed to change, right? You needed to change your approach on hunting, right? If you wanted to be successful now, you know, in 2012, when you started get, getting into it again, you started picking up your bow and, and practicing bow hunting. Was there a, uh, a goal that you had set for yourself going into, into those early seasons? Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's kind of the, the beginning of the evolution of myself, I guess, is one way to call it or progression. I should say not evolution progression. Yeah. Um, that this was long before I knew anything about age class, age structure of bucks, you know, I right. just, and it was, uh, and it was before I realized there was a big craze on antler size too. It was a, oh, how many points does he have? You know, right. Um, a lot of people around me always asked that. You know, oh, is he an eight point, a ten point, blah blah blah? And I was just like, so I always I set a um, a goal for myself that it had to be an eight point or more. Okay. At at that point in time, and uh, actually that very first year, 2012, I actually didn't use a bow i actually bought a crossbow <laughs> because i felt like i was missing out on a good part of the season i was i always you know those first two years i i you know had to wait till a shotgun and then um i felt like i was missing out on a good part of the season you know talking to uh, friends you know and stuff like that like for instance brandon you know he you know he'd be putting these decent bucks down you know with his bow and i'm like man i'm missing out on something here you know and uh I didn't mean never shooting a bow before. I was like, well, I don't know if I have time to practice, you know, being, being on the farm, you know, when, when the season comes, you know, that's when we're the busiest. So I was just like, I don't know if I can keep up enough practice, but I want to make sure that if I get a day, I can sneak out. I want to be able to do it during bow season. Um, so I used crossbow and actually that year, it's funny. I did call in two eight points that year. But the reason why I didn't shoot is because uh, since being on the field edge, I was on the very north edge of the property when I called them in. They technically, they never crossed over on my side, and they were on the neighbor's side. And at that time, I had not established relationship with that neighbor yet. And I knew they hunted, and it was a wide-open hayfield to the north. So I was like, I was afraid that if I shot at one of them over the line, <laughs> that somebody would have saw it, even though they were only like 15 yards. Right. Um, somebody would have saw it, and then it would have been a big ordeal. You know, I would have been bad blood from the beginning, and I didn't want to 
do that. So, um, yeah, that's basically what, how, you know, what started it for me right there was just calling in deer like that and having them that close. And, you know, that was the goals I set was, you know, get a shot at an eight point. Well, I had two opportunities there. Probably, I think it was within the same week, if I remember right, or within a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, and, and from there, it just progressed from there on what my goals were. Gotcha. So, gotcha. so were, did you harvest anything with your crossbow in the first couple of years? Uh, no, actually, that was, I did not. And I, that was my, uh, the only year I used crossbow because, um, same friends of mine, uh, actually it, always enjoyed like shooting their bows, you know, just out, you know, during the spring, summertime shooting or doing, you know, leagues or going indoors and, um, going to bow shops and shooting, you know, and I was like, it was no fun shooting a crossbow because at that point in time, it was pretty heavy, you know, not like how they are now where they're pretty light, but it was a tank back then. And then, you know, I always, it was always a pain in the butt, you know, you had to hook the rope up to it and cock it and, you know, load the arrow into it. And it's just, I finally, so I broke down and I bought a, a cheap, uh, it was a Parker, just, uh, um, a solid limb Parker. I don't remember which model it was, but then I started shooting that with my friends and realized that, Hey, I'm actually pretty decent at this good enough to shoot a deer anyway. So that's when I started practicing with that and I got good enough to where I was like, okay, I'm going to sell this Parker and this crossbow and I'm going to get myself a nice bow for the next season, uh, 2013. And that's what I did. And I practiced with that thing night and day. Another, another thing my drove my wife nuts, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, I just want to make sure I'm good when season comes. And sure enough, I ended up harvesting my, my very first buck with that bow in, in 2013. Uh, in 2013. Okay, awesome. And uh, yep. what was that buck? What Like age class maybe yeah. or, or size? or? Well, see, there's one thing I regret not doing, which I didn't know much about it in 2013 either, was that how old, you know, how to age them. Um, I wish I would have done it because I've had a lot of people – you know, go back and forth on what age they think he was, but he was a, just a massive six point. Um, I don't mean just antler wise. I mean, just the body also. Right. Um, we, uh, he had an 18 inch inside spread and, uh, I forget what the main beams were, but I think he was, I think I ended up scoring him if I did it right. Um, I think he scored 110 inches when we did it. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I was just six points and, um, but his body was just, um, I want to say he was 240, 250. Okay. Um, big deer for the area. And that was at the beginning. Of, yeah. Oh yeah. That was at the, that was the beginning of October and, uh, the very beginning, the very first weekend. Oh, nice. and, um, yeah. And, um, he, uh, I can't remember if that was the weight after we dressed him or before. Gotcha. Okay. So you did, you did something right in 2013. Do you feel that that particular buck was a result of changing your strategy or did you just get a little lucky? Um, no, I, uh, strategy for sure. Like, um, like for instance, that day, I don't think I'll ever forget that day. Um, it was one of them days where like that night before and all through that morning, it was like rainy 
and it was actually kind of cold and cloudy and windy. And as the day progressed, it was calling for the pressure to, the pressure was starting to rise. Wind was calming down. Sun was coming out. Rain was stopping. It was just temperature was dropping a little bit. It was just all perfect conditions. And, uh, I told myself I need to, I, I have to be out there. I have to. Yeah. And sure enough, he come, come in that afternoon, um, broadside at 20 yards. I didn't even have to stop him. And, uh, Wide open shot. <laughs> Perfect. Ran less than a hundred yards and piled up. Perfect. You you know you love you love it when it goes down perfectly like that, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So after you shot this deer, you you know you you get back into hunting. It took you a year of messing up. It took you. It sounds like that off season is when you did a you did a lot of educating yourself on the rights and the wrongs of bow hunting specifically and you know strategy and whatnot you were successful in 2013 what did that i guess what did that successful season teach you moving forward um did you say okay well i just need to keep doing what i'm doing or did you say i i want to do better and learn more and more and more and more oh more and more for sure um I, I, uh, I guess I'm going to toot my own horn here and pat myself on the back a little bit. I guess that's, that's one thing I guess I like about myself is just how, you know, they, I've heard the phrase, you know, you can be a, uh, you can be a, a decent hunter, but what makes you a good hunter is the ability to learn and adapt. Right. You know, I never stop learning. Every time I go out, it's always, I pay attention to everything. I just, um, see which way they're moving this time, this time of year, you know, what, what made them go this way versus that way when they normally go that way, you know, just, or, you know, why did they act this way or do this? You know, you just always constantly, um, always, you know, always watching whether it's YouTube videos or reading magazines or, you know, podcasts or anything, or just, um, like I owe a lot to like, uh, my buddy Brandon and Corey and, you know, other people and other friends, you know, just, you know, like all the help they've given me along the way too. just, um, I'm pretty sure I drove some of them nuts on all the questions <laughs> I asked, um, because I was just like, like, like calling to deer, you know, Michigan, I, I truly believe Michigan is one of the hardest states to call to deer in because I actually, I actually find myself being more successful the less I call. Yep. And, uh, it's just, I don't, I don't know if it's just because every, you know, they just get called to a lot or what, but like I've had it to where more times than not, when I call to a deer, you would swear you shot a gun at him. Yeah. So ultimately I just started figuring out where I needed to be, when to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. What did, what did you learn from your buddies? That's one, that's a question I never ask. Like what's one good takeaway that you've learned from just being friends with hunters who have been doing it longer than you have? Shoot. Um, well, at the beginning I'd have to, hmm. Probably the less is more. I'd have to say, yeah. Um, cause I think they started figuring out before I did that, you know, 
um, you know, picking the right times and, and also the call, whole calling thing, you know, call less, you know, call at the right times, you know, and, uh, but now I would say now as it progressed, I'm to a point now where it's more of a, just, just, uh, what I want to say, um, basically just, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> um, right. uh, just be like proud of what you harvest. Like, yeah. cause there's this big push on like, is this buck, you know, old enough or big enough, you know, just be hunt for yourself, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Like Absolutely. shoot what makes you, shoot what makes you happy. And I think that's the, you know, that's the big thing now with between me and friends and other people that I know, you know, it's really starting to be more enjoyable. Like I remember it. So, yeah. right. No, no, no stress or no expectations going into the, going into the season. Correct. Except okay. for what I put on myself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now, what about, uh, what about any strategy? I mean, did, did you have, did your buddies maybe share with you like, okay, man, try this or try that. Or do you, are you and your buddies kind of like a conduit of information for each other where let's say, Hey man, I got a big buck over here. I don't know how to approach them. Do you guys communicate like that with each other or do you guys just share stories? Um, we're to a point now where we pretty much just share stories and details and, um, Cause just the way I, you know, I progress with like the podcast and other things and other information they have too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it helps to have friends who actually, you know, have similar goals, you know, and similar things that get them fired up when they're out, you know, in certain situations that work for them, you know, um, just basically stuff like that you like anymore it's just yeah just stories and we keep each other updated like you know what the um hey you know i was out this day you know this is what my deer were doing you know they're you know they might be might be time to hit it hard now they you know they start to get fired up you know and yeah just kind of a more of a just to help each other keep up to date on like whether or not the rut's kicking in or, you know, yep, Hey, I, I saw him chasing and, and, uh, so you need to get out or, you know, th- that kind yep. of conversation. Gotcha. Okay. Yep, now yeah. when it comes to learning on your own, right. Um, over these last handful <clears throat> of years, is there, can, can you think of a time where you made a, a big mistake on a deer, but either learned a lesson and was able to go and harvest that deer or failed and then turned around and made yourself better the next season? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I've had to – let me think here. I think there's been a couple times. Um, don't, don't tell me that <laughs> you're the guy who gets it done every year because I hate those guys. I, no, I, <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. I I might be able to just the fact that it um there for a while I was kind of in a pattern like after 2013, 2014 just bombed for me like totally. Like it took me until the end of the season to finally put down a doe. <laughs> yeah. Um but then 2015, 
I had luck, pretty pretty good season. And then 2016, I tried to get my wife her first one, which we had a blast doing that. And so basically, I put my season on hold. I mean, I still tried, but I was more. I didn't want to put too more pressure on it on the property than I needed to. So yeah. I just basically I wanted more chances for her. And then uh, so I went from I went 2013, 2015, and then 2017. So there was about a, every other year there at the beginning. But then this year is the first year I've had first season I've had where I've had back to back seasons where I've put down a good buck. Okay. So, okay. So um, 2017 and 2018 were back to back years where you put down a good deer. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I mean, they were, they were all good deer. I, I mean, not to say my first few weren't, but right. So. Right. But so do you think it's becoming easier for you to be successful every year? Like, things are starting to click for you because you're you're able to be observant and and get into a routine or a flow or do you think you got you got a couple more seasons till till that happens um actually no i i feel like i'm i'm pretty much there um because the property that i'm on now is not the same one i killed my first deer on um, 2015 was the very first year on this property that I, I have now. Um, and I, uh, the learning curve, like that very first year we've had this property, I think I had six cameras rolling that entire season just to uh, get as much Intel as I possibly could. Um, constantly checking on them. And I left them out all season long, all the way, even past season, I left them out. Yeah, and uh, I've I've gotten to a point now where I incorporate those details plus the being able to be very picky on which days I go out. I feel like I've gotten to a point now where I've gotten a pretty good routine to where that and owning a climber really, I that thing paid for itself within the first couple seasons. <laughs> gotcha. So just to be able to really pinpoint where I needed to be on that new property knowing nothing about it just i i feel like yeah just all that i'm i'm starting to get now into a point where i feel like i could probably be successful every season gotcha because of because of the way you hunt like checking trail cameras and and being mobile because of the climber that you use correct okay all right so the first couple years would you call your would you have called yourself a mobile hunter or have you have you just recently in like 2017 or 16 or whenever become a mobile hunter? Um, 2015, I actually owe it to uh, Brandon again. He actually, um, not knowing much about that property, and he the property he was hunting on is there was actually um, during that summertime the original people who owned that property were selling it. And so there was talk where he was afraid that he wasn't going to have that property anymore to hunt. Well, then, um, believe it or not, uh, uh, my dad ended up buying it to farm it. So he just kept the hunting rights to Brandon and his dad and his family hunt out there. Well, before we realized that was happening, uh, I had him come out and actually um, help me move hang stands 
during the summer and stuff and with the heat and mosquitoes and everything dead middle of summer and uh and i told him i go in exchange for this i go you know you can come out here and hunt with me and uh he's like he actually is the one who got me into using a climber because i was at first looking at them being you know i still felt like a newbie you know i was just like i was like they looked real sketchy you know i was just like really i was like this like um but sure enough i ended up um i actually ended up killing a buck out of one of his climbers that very first season on that property so oh nice um and i and i've been and ever since then i ended up uh i ended up buying my own climber after that and i've been mobile since i still have my hang-ons and ladders and stuff out there but i'm i still once in a while depending on what cameras tell me and what i or what i see i still pack in my climber and and use it gotcha so you're almost 100 percent different tree every hunt these days for the most part um i actually uh i pretty much narrowed it down where i need to have my uh my other stands be but it's not going to keep me from using that that climber especially since uh um about a almost i think it's exactly a year ago from now we had a lot of snow and rain and it all melted and the woods flooded out out here and uh it's never recovered we've had a lot of rain this year out here and it actually changed the way they move through my woods and um and it took me a minute to finally figure that out because I kept walking in the ways I normally do. And I was like, man, I keep bumping a lot of deer out of here. I go, in spots I normally don't, I go, what is going on? I was like, I felt like I forgot how to hunt all over again. I was just like, man, what, like, what am I doing wrong here? And uh, that's, I, that's when I started figuring out that I noticed some of the trails they normally use weren't being used because they'd end up under you know, you'd follow them, they end up underwater, you know, so I ended up finding that they were using different routes throughout there, and uh, again, being mobile, really, um, I didn't shoot my buck out of it this year, but I mean, it still, I, it still helped me out a lot on being, almost being successful this year out of that, again, so. That's awesome, that's awesome, so, what do you think that you need to work on? I mean, you, you've had success the last two years, really good success the last couple of years. Um, it looks like you've had success on what I would call above average deer for Michigan, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, for the most part. Um, but I feel like, uh, oh, I, I want to say, because I think you and Andy May um, dabbled on it a little bit talking in one of the podcasts about Michigan and I feel like there's a movement here lately in Michigan, just in the state itself, to where more and more people are holding out for the the older class, age class bucks, you know, and, you know, or bigger. And I think it's starting to really show, but it also goes from depending on which neighborhood you, you're in, you know, depending on what neighbors you have. Cause, right. Um, cause I, I have good neighbors around here who do hold out, but I still have a neighbor who's nearby that they shoot whatever, you know, they're one of them. It, I can't eat the antlers type hunter, which is, <laughs> that's, you know, teach his own. I mean, if that's what makes you happy, go for it. You know, it's I'm not saying that's wrong or nothing, but, um, 
but uh, when you have a good property and you can allow them to get above average, it really makes a difference. It really makes you hopeful for the following season. Like, you know, you pass that buck and you're like, man, I hope he makes it. And then he yeah. does. And you're like, holy cow, this is awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> that's definitely good to hear. If you if you have this feeling that, you know, Michigan is, you know, or the area that you hunt or the people that you talk to are maybe not afraid to eat their tag like they were in the past and, uh, or, you know, shoot does to fill the freezer or pass on young deer, man, that's a, that's a good thing all the way around. Yep. And I hope it continues. So awesome well so with with all that said right you know you're, you're saying that there's still a little bit of room for you to kill a maybe either an older age class or let me let me back up and let me ask you it this way are the deer that you're killing on your hit list every year or are they you know, are you, are you checking down and, and shooting something outside of your goals every year? Or would you say that, you know, the deers, the deer that you're harvesting are the top tier deer in, you know, on the farms that you hunt? Um, yeah, I'd say the last two seasons, um, I've, I've really started to get more into the creating a hit list type deal. Um, starting to get more into trying to age them and hold out for the older age. Um, cause 2015, um, not knowing anything about the property and the fact that, um, I, let's see here. Let, that was a 2015 very first season. I ended up shooting two bucks with the bow and I've never done that before. So that was pretty awesome in itself to me. And, uh, the first one was a nine point, um, a wide nine point, probably just a two and a half year old. Um, he probably was, uh, what was he? 110 inches, I believe hundred, five hundred ten inches. Yeah. I think, but I, the, the morning that I shot him was actually in honor of my, uh, younger brother that passed, uh, earlier in that year. Yeah. And, um, he was supposed to join me for that, that season. He was supposed to join me and get his first buck. And so I, I, and uh, I shot that one in honor of him. It was actually one of those perfect mornings that every hunter longs for. And it was actually the morning of the day we were going to go celebrate his, what would have been his birthday. And, um, so that was just, to me, just was awesome all in itself. But, um, that buck that I shot out of that climber that year, um, was a, a seven point that was just as, just as large about as that six point pre uh two seasons two seasons before that and um neither one of them were on the hit list i was just out there hunting enjoying the moment and enjoying it with a friend of mine because he would hunt with me or he would i'm sure he might have saw one of the pictures on my facebook page where um he's in the other tree in the climber right next to me and i'm in the other tree in the climber and we're just having a good old time um but i wouldn't say until 2016 when i started um when i took my wife out i started getting more into okay to create a hit list but that year it was more of a hit list for her and then 2017 um that's when i started figuring out better what the age class was around there and started creating a hit list more on age class at that 
2017, I was like, okay, at least three and a half or older, which around here is three and a half is pretty good buck, you know, yeah. um, since a lot of them get killed at a young age. But like I said, there's a, I feel like there's a movement where people are starting to hold off for the older deer and, um, and then 20 and then this last season, um, oh, actually let me back up 2017. Um, I actually did have a hit list buck that I actually did get an arrow in, but that was, I guess that was back to one of your questions from before one of my mishaps, I guess. Um, if anybody listening, like word of advice, I guess when you're bow hunting is in the heat of the moment, I would say try to take that split second and clarify whether or not you have an absolute clear, clear shot. Yeah. Because I, I had this buck, I want to say he's probably four and a half. He, uh, he actually had, I called him drop time, which is a rare thing here in Michigan. Um, beautiful 10 point with a drop time. And I actually stopped him and I released that arrow. And what I did not see in that heat of that moment was this, like, at that point in time, I didn't know what it hit, and I was confused on what even happened. But um, but when I took a second and looked back to where I shot, sure enough, there was this little bitty twig just hanging down, and that's all it took. It deflected that, and this small tree that I stopped him past, it, it actually smacked that tree and still managed to hit him in the shoulder. Yeah. And, yeah. and he, you know, I he probably, it only went probably in probably about six inches, and I seen him running off with, uh, um, with that, most of the arrow just hanging out of him. But, um, I had trail cam photos of him two days later running through in front of the camera in the middle of the day. Yeah. So I knew what I did didn't kill him, but, um, but that was my first actual hit list buck. I would say that I was after, and he was at least, I would say at least four and a half based on what his body size was and everything. And, yeah. um, and then, uh, that's when I knew, Hey, I can do this. I think in that moment, I was like, I, I, I knew this buck I wanted to go after, um, because bucks I had on camera moved out during the summertime, like before the season started. Right. Um, one of them, there was a ten, another 10 point I was after and he moved on and, uh, I never saw him the rest of the entire season. So I, put my focus on this other buck that I knew that was there. That was, would have been the oldest buck that I shot at that point in time. And I only injured him. Well, I never saw him again either after that. Um, at least not on the hoof. I saw my camera though, but, um, so that's when I went back to my, my roots a little bit. And, um, that's when, you know, that, uh, he was, a the buck that I shot there in 2017, he was 130 inch eight point. Um, I shot him during shotgun season and, uh, awesome. Biggest buck, the biggest buck to date there. And, uh, and I aged him at three and a half. I was like, well, I was like, I, I can do better than this on age. And sure enough, um, this year I had another hit list created. Um, but the buck that I shot this year, he actually did not make it on my hit list until the end of October. That's when he showed up. And, uh, actually, um, Brandon is the one he actually had history with this buck on his property, which is probably about a mile and a half as a crow flies. And, uh, 
away and he got bumped out of there and he had no idea what where that deer went he was like trying to figure out and as soon as i sent him a trail cam photo of this 10 point he's like dude i know who that is <laughs> yeah and uh and then from there on out it was i focused on him and i got it done so awesome awesome little focus goes a long way doesn't it oh yeah yeah absolutely yep and that's not even the highlight of the 2018 season though you know (laughs) just the fact that um the beginning of that earlier in that season right uh it was on november 11th uh, my oldest daughter um she uh she got her first buck and proud dad moment where 30 yard shot with a crossbow and we watched him go down you know couldn't ask for better conditions so how jacked um, was she i she was pretty i i i was told in the because i recorded the whole thing anybody watches like you were we think you were more excited than she was (laughs) i i think i was more jacked than she was just because i know what it's like i've seen friends hell i've even i've even put you know that that seven point i talked about you know, in 2015, I accidentally gut shot at him with a bow. So I know what it's like to not see them go down, you know, and the, and not have a blood trail to follow, you know, and, and, uh, I was just like, man, you hear stories, even if you make a good shot, you know, you hear stories where they might not bleed enough to follow with blood. And then you got a grid search, you know, or get a dog. And I was just like, I was all afraid that was going to happen with her, you know, being the first time out. And I was like, man, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. And so the fact that it, we watched him go down just, but yeah, she was That's super, awesome. super stoked. And so it's just, almost like you were more jacked about it than she was. Oh, for sure. I don't, <laughs> I don't think she really grasped it. You know, she's seven years old and, uh, she's just starting getting into it. But as soon as she did it, and we actually walked up to him, um, and she got to see him and up close in person and everything. For like uh, before, I like when I said, "Okay, let's walk back and get the UTV to load him up." She's like, first thing comes out of her mouth. She's like, "When can I shoot another one?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yes." I go, "I don't even care if I shoot one the entire season. Like, I'm, I'm That's good. That's a win. That's a win. I'm good. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well." You got your hands full, right? You and uh, now your your uh, daughter. You got any other kids? Just yes, I have a three year old, okay. uh, another daughter. Nice. Okay, cool. So you got another one coming up in the ranks. Yep. Cool. Well, hey man, I, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast and and chat with us a little bit, a little bit to today about uh, your success and uh, you coming back and joining the hunting club after a hiatus and uh, the success that you found with uh, your daughter, man. That's uh, awesome and uh, good luck uh, on the upcoming seasons. Thank you. You too. I appreciate you letting me be a part of this. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We're done. Uh, That's it for this week. As far as the Nine Finger Chronicles are concerned, be sure you go back and check out all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation. Man, just a ton of great content coming out. Huge shout-out to Nathan for hopping on and chatting with us today. Huge shout-out to all of you for continually tuning in. Uh, If you haven't already, all you have to do is search Nine Finger Chronicles or search Sportsman's Nation and you will find 
everything that you need to know, right? All all the podcasts, all your podcast needs are covered under the Sportsman's Nation. And uh, man, just a ton of great information coming. I'm kind of all over the place. It's that coffee again. It's kicking in. And uh, partners of this podcast, again, huge shout out to these companies. And please go check out the companies that support this podcast because they support me. And if you like what I'm doing, A, go support these companies. B, go to wherever you download iTunes, you know, Stitcher, wherever, Podbean, wherever you're downloading this podcast. Leave a review. Um, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ozonix, Wasp. Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord ARS, I said Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. Guys, uh, just a, a ton of great companies there, and I'm trying to think what else. Um, bah, 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 that's it. That's it. I'm just going to call it quits. Hopefully everybody's having a It's cold as shit outside. First and foremost, I'm, I'm here in Iowa, and right now it's like negative 20, and then the wind chill is like negative 40 outside. It's cold, and I'm going to stay inside. Probably going to drink a little whiskey tonight and try to stay warm. Uh, I'm going to try to get all my editing done so I can put the kids to bed, relax, and like binge watch Game of Thrones because that's what I'm what I, what I want to do tonight. Um, typically, I, I work on this until about... 11 o'clock at night and tonight I'm not going to do that it's whiskey and Game of Thrones period and it ends have a good day if you're going to be in a tree our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us all to please wear your damn safety harness we'll see you next week